there are various categories of human greatness. One is athletic greatness. It's the one that might most catch our attention immediately. That's why there are over 100 million Americans watching the NFL, the Super Bowl right now. Well, we marvel at the accuracy and the power of these world-class athletes. Or maybe you could care less, which is why you're here right now during the game. But at least a lot of people care about it. And, and I think most of us were amazed by athletic prowess. But have you ever considered that the fastest wide receiver on the field right now couldn't keep up with the laziest cheetah on the savannah? And the biggest lineman out there would be pushed over by a baby hippopotamus. Of course, there's more to the game than raw speed and power, but at least in those categories, the best that humans can muster is just okay. But there's another category of greatness, intellectual greatness, which is more wonderful and enduring. Think of the musical masterpieces or the great works of literature. A few weeks ago, some of you heard a, a presentation on the James Webb Telescope. Well, thousands of scientists collaborated to send an instrument into space that would be able to capture images of the first light, light that was over 13 and a half billion years old. It's incredible that the human mind is capable of, of reaching not only across distant space, but even back into time somehow. Aristotle said that the human intellect is all things. And what he meant is that it's capable of universal knowledge. It reaches out to all kinds of reality, apparently without limit. So athletic greatness has its place, but intellectual greatness far surpasses it. In today's gospel, Jesus introduces a third order of greatness. He says, whoever obeys and teaches these commandments will be called greatest in the kingdom of heaven. He's speaking of a spiritual greatness, the greatness of love. The French mathematician and theologian Blaise Pascal spoke of these three orders of greatness, and he argued that the three are incommensurable with one another. He says, all bodies, here he's speaking about the material realm. All bodies, the firmament, the stars, the earth, and its kingdoms are not equal to the lowest mind. For mind knows all these and itself, and these bodies nothing. So his point is that the whole material world, as wonderful as it is, it can't compare with a single mind, because without a mind, the whole universe is blind matter. And then he continues, he says, all bodies together and all minds together are not equal to the least impulse of love. This is of an order infinitely more exalted. So he says that just as genius is infinitely greater than physical strength, so love is infinitely greater than genius. Isn't it striking that when the Son of God became man, he chose not to stand out for any other characteristic but his love? 
He didn't go around like Paul Bunyan uprooting trees with his bare hands, manifesting his superhuman strength. Nor did he manifest any special genius. He was incomparably wise, but he never invented anything. He never wrote a book. He didn't leave behind a unified theory of everything. His speech was simple and at times even unpolished. Pascal says in the same, riches, in, in the same passage, Jesus Christ, without riches and without any external exhibition of knowledge, is in his own order of holiness. He did not invent, he did not reign, but he was humble, patient, holy, holy to God, terrible to demons, without any sin. And in this whole Sermon on the Mount, which we're reading in these weeks, Jesus shows us the path to true greatness. He shows us the way to holiness by banishing judgment from our hearts, by fighting for purity, by living lives of uncompromised integrity, by loving even our enemies. This is the gr true greatness that he maps out for us in the Sermon on the Mount. It's the greatness of Jesus Christ and the greatness of many saints who followed him. You know, in pursuit of that greatness, many saints have renounced the splendor of earthly power and the brilliance of human genius. St. Thomas More was the chancellor of England and a counselor, a very trusted counselor of Henry VIII. But when Henry VIII decided to divorce his lawful wife, Catherine of Aragon, he pressured Thomas More to, to publicly support him in his decision which Thomas said that he couldn't do in good conscience. And so after resisting repeated pressure, he was eventually thrown into prison and threatened to be executed. While he was there in prison, already condemned to death, he wrote a letter to his daughter, Margaret. And I want to read to you a part of this letter. He says, Margaret, I cannot but trust God's merciful goodness. His grace has strengthened me until now and made me content to lose goods, land, and life rather than swear against my conscience. In taking away my liberty, the king has done me such great good with respect to spiritual profit that I trust that among all the great benefits he has heaped so abundantly upon me, I count my imprisonment the very greatest. And therefore, my own good daughter, do not let your mind be troubled over anything that shall happen to me in this world. Nothing can come but what God wills. And I am very sure that whatever that be, however bad it may seem, it shall indeed be the best. St. Thomas More chose the greatness of the kingdom of heaven over the greatness of this world. For a while he had all three. He was an Oxford-trained scholar. He was well-known throughout the world. He was the chancellor and a counselor to the king. He had intellectual power. He had worldly power. And at the same time, he was a man of faith and a faithful son of the church. 
For a while, he had all three. And yet, as soon as they came into conflict, as soon as he had to choose, he didn't hesitate to lay down worldly greatness for the greatness that never passes away, for the greatness of the kingdom of heaven. Well, let's follow him and all the saints in striving after this one true greatness. Jesus says that although it might cost us our right hand and our right eye, it's worth it. He says it's the one treasure that never rots or rusts. And that we should go and find the hard and narrow path and take it to the very end in pursuit of it. What will move us to pursue true greatness at such a great cost? What will inspire us to take that hard and narrow path to the end? Well, we have to begin by admiring that kind of greatness. We'll never seek what we don't value. So let me ask you, who do you admire? What do you daydream about? What do you aspire to? Pascal says, there are some who can only admire worldly greatness, as though there were no intellectual greatness, and others who admire intellectual greatness as, there, as though there were not infinitely higher things in wisdom. So a step towards pursuing the true greatness of holiness is to fix our admiration on those who attained it, to let ourselves be captivated by the lives of the saints. I don't know about you, but when I see a sports game, especially a basketball game, I, my heart starts beating and I want to start training. And I have to keep myself from daydreaming about getting back in shape and getting back on the court. Or when I'm around scholars, I start thinking how I would love to dedicate myself to the intellectual life, to study and read and think. And that's why it's so important to surround ourselves with saints. Because when we begin to admire their greatness, we're stu stirred to pursue it. You will hear about St. Damien of Molokai, who at one point decided to cast his lot with the lepers, to move to this leper's colony, knowing that he would never be able to leave. And that inspires us to want to live a generous, a recklessly generous life. Or we hear about Mother Teresa, who walked into a shop with a, a child asking for some food. And the shopkeeper spit in her face, and without hesitating, she responded, that's what you have for me, but what do you have for this child? And we're inspired to want to, to imitate her courage. So I want to propose that this month, we read the biography of a saint. Right now, I'm reading the biography of John Paul II, and it's huge, and it's a little bit boring. So I don't know if I'm going to finish it by the end of this month. I've been, already been going for a month, and I fall asleep every half a page. But, but it's good, and it's worthwhile. There are, others that are other stories that are a little bit more gripping. So find the story of a saint, the life of a saint that, that catches your attention. The more we surround ourselves with the lives of the saints, the more that we'll set our hearts on that true greatness, the only greatness that really matters. We'll begin to admire their holiness, their hidden acts of love, their humility. Theirs is the greatness to which we're called.